Hello, cleaning buddies. Welcome to the podcast. This is Jen Lynn, and I'm going to try to go really fast through chapter six. I'm feeding the baby a bottle. Her um, TV show just naturally went off like it was time for it to be over. So I'm hoping to get through chapter six, which is called The Trap, as quickly as I can um, without her freaking out. So uh, I just really want to do this one while it's fresh in my mind because there's so many parts to it um, and so much that I think is... Like, if I don't do it, I'm sorry, trying to get my phone to check something real quick. Um, I feel like if I don't do it now, oh, she might be going to the bathroom. We might be listening to that a little bit. Um, I just feel like some parts of it I might have, like, I might not remember what I was talking about. Um, this is the only one, only chapter I've written so far where I kind of felt that way. So, um, anyway, so chapter six is actually talking about the trap, which we know is the illusion that all these things um, give you some kind of pleasure. Um, but it first starts out kind of asking, what is your perception of an addict? Before reading this book, when you thought about an addict, what did you think of? Um, and one answer they give that a lot of people would say is a person who's throwing their life away over a drug. That's what a lot of people think. They feel sorry for them, but also like sometimes you have people that are like, well, why did you ever start? And things like that. Um, most digital addicts don't see themselves in the same light or being at that level. Um, but all addicts are the same. Um, and when you hear that, of course, keep an open mind. It's one of the rules. One of the first things is like, oh, how on earth can you compare me to a heroin addict? It's not the same physical state necessarily, but it is the exact same trap and it induces the exact same patterns of behavior. Um, feelings of isolation, irritability, self-loathing, frustration, denial, deceit. So all of those things are... They go with any addiction. Um, The funny thing is, and this wasn't, like, I don't think I really picked up on this as much the first time I read the book, but this kind of stuck out to me today. Um, People used to see smoking. um, You know, when my grandfather was um, smoking, which is what killed him, uh, he didn't die from cancer or anything else. He literally died from his lungs being damaged from smoking. Um, but people used to think there was nothing wrong with it. Like they didn't know that it caused any damage. They didn't see any problem with it. Um, you know, doctors recommended brands of cigarettes, crazy stuff like that. Um, so people used to see smoking the same way digital addiction is looked at today. No big deal. Um, so this is a fact, this is something that's kind of bold print in the book, but I kind of paraphrase here. Um, and it says seeking pleasure or comfort from a device traps you in a cycle of craving, dissatisfaction, and misery, just like any other addiction, just like a drug addiction. Um, drugs actually hijack the reward center of your brain and give you dopamine because it seems to relieve the discomfort of withdrawal. Um, it gives a high followed by a big low. Natural um, things that are actually giving you genuine pleasure, um, they give you a lot more of a lasting high, maybe not as super up in the sky high, but a lasting high. Um, and there's no low, there's no withdrawal. If you've ever, um, you return to par, which we're going to get into in a little bit. And there's actually a graph in the book. So, um, if you've ever experienced the high, like runner's high or after, um, working out, that's a great example. Oh, she is just tooting and pooting over here. Um, that's a great example because you get that high feeling, but you don't, there's no crash from it. You don't feel Like, later on, you're not like, oh, my gosh, I have to go exercise again. Or, oh, my gosh, why did I exercise? You know, it's like you feel good about it. 
Um, unless you have like a body issue where you do want to go do that. Um, so a lot of people are like, okay, drugs do that because they have chemicals and the chemicals affect your brain chemicals. But they actually found that gambling and using devices do the exact same thing as far as hijacking the reward center. Um, and we talked about that in the other chapter when we talked about like the pleasure you get from relieving your thirst versus, um, using your phone. There's no, there's no fullness from using your phone. The body doesn't have a capacity for that. So, um, so this is a, they kind of gave this example. Um, I broke it down a little bit and actually made your brain talk in this, in my example, but this is kind of how it works. You use your phone, you feel happy or a high from using your phone. As it wears off, you feel restless or empty. Your brain says, Hey, my phone gave me a boost. Do that again. If you give in, the withdrawal is partially relieved and your brain has been tricked into thinking that the phone gave you genuine pleasure. Um, But of course, that's going to be a high followed by an even lower low than you started with. Um, Actually, using the phone partially and only temporarily removed the unpleasant low that the last binge caused. Happy digital users don't have that low. They use their phone, they get off of it, and they don't feel bad at all. So the only reason that you're looking at your phone is so that you can feel the way that people that are not on their phones all the time naturally feel. Um, You're also constantly doing it to feel better from the last time you did it. We keep harping on that, but literally. So changing your mindset, um, I'm going to read all this to you. This is not, there's more to it than this though. So there's another component with digital addiction. So not saying this and expecting you to just be like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because it's going to be like, when I read this, you're going to be like, Um, that is not going to work for me. I've tried that. Um, okay. So if you only look at your phone to relieve the low from the last time or from the time before, um, it seems reasonable that you just need to stop looking at your phone to get free, put up with the withdrawal for the time it takes the habit to wear off and the craving will stop. Um, this is a big deal. This will work for anything you can think of that you want to stop doing. There is another component though. The problem with digital addiction is not just the habit, but also the state of mind that has to be unraveled first. So once you unravel the state of mind, then that is essentially what you do. Um, But right now, the thought of that is probably making you really anxious and fearful. And that is absolutely normal and to be expected. We're going to get into that um, at the end of this chapter. Um, There's lots more information after that that I'm skipping. You should read it. Um, It gets, I'm starting back at the section that starts with filling a void. Um, I started kind of writing this out and then I was like, okay, this is just too much. You really need to read this through, but I'm going to give you the gist of it. And, um, yeah, like I understand it. Although the way it's phrased in the book, like I do have an understanding of it. The way it's phrased in the book kind of makes it seem really weird, but I understand it and I do believe it. Um, yeah, I'll just read it. So brainwashing by digital designers means that your intellect has overridden your instincts. And I do want to talk about that for a minute because I preach this to my kids so much. Um, Your intellect overriding your instincts. How many times have you heard of someone being attacked or something bad happening to somebody when they had a bad feeling, but they didn't want to be rude. They didn't want to be considered rude by like running away or, you know, ignoring the person or walking back inside or whatever. So to avoid being considered rude, their brain told them, oh, don't be rude. That's not the way we should be. And they got themselves, they allowed themselves to be in a bad situation that their instincts were screaming at them to stop. Um, so I preach to my kids all the time. If you have a bad feeling, 
you know, do something about it. Like do not, um, because I was talking to some little kids about the, um, it was actually about digital stuff, just being safe online. And they're like, but what, but you don't want them to think you're mean. So you can't just, and I'm like, Oh no. I said, no, if something gives you a feeling that makes you uncomfortable, you get away. You do the same thing. You don't talk to strangers. You don't have to be, I said, I think what I was talking to them was about strangers. Actually. I think the topic got on strangers. And I said, if an adult is talking to you and you don't know them, there's no reason for a grown adult to come and talk to a kid or ask a kid questions. You need to run away from them to the nearest adult, the person you're supposed to be with or another adult, you know, somebody who works there or somebody, you know, a friend's house or whatever. Do not think that you don't want to hurt the person's feelings or be rude or mean. You be rude or mean, but if you feel that feeling, you get away. Anyway, so the digital designers have found a way to override your instincts and make you think your intellect is taking over. Um, so this kind of explains it a little bit, but it's you have to really put your own thought process in here. So we know info overload is bad, but that's part of the appeal because it makes us feel rebellious. We want to make our own decisions, and I put LOL by that because we think we're making our own decisions, but really they're making them for us. Come here, come here, come here. You're okay. I'm going to get her bottle myself. Here, here's your bottle. Here's your bottle. There you go. Um, so, that urge to want to make decisions is caused by emptiness that opens up in youth. And some of this is directly from the book. Um, starting from birth, the void. Birth is a shock. This is where it gets a little kind of weird and hokey. Um, birth is a shock that we seek comfort from in our mothers who protect us. As children. Goodness. Goodness. Just like this. As children, we're protected from the harsh realities of life. But then we're forced to go away from where we feel safe as we um, go to school and start to grow up. I cannot tell if she needs a change. Let me check. Nope, she's good. Hey, look at this. You can mash your bugs. Mash your bugs. Let's mash bugs together. While I'm talking about not being on devices. Um, okay. Um, as children, we're protected from the harsh realities of life. We're forced from home to school. And we start to see our parents not as perfect as we thought. I, I remember that myself in my life where I went when I first started realizing that my parents did not have all the answers. Like, I really thought as a kid that grown-ups, like, if you asked a grown-up something, like, they knew everything. I didn't think grown-ups lied. Like, I was so sheltered, I guess. Um, anyway, this disillusionment opens the void in our minds. We try to fill it with just about anything. He goes into a lot of detail here. I am not. So read the chapter. Um, this keeps, he keeps going for a while on this. Um, so the little things of rebellion become associated with relieving the void. When we feel the void in the future, we seek comfort in these distractions. Food, cigarettes, drugs, etc. He named a bunch of different things. Hang on, take your hand off for a minute so I can fix it. Hang on. Okay, now get your bugs. Um, studies on the links that we go to to relieve feeling alone. This is like a little aside. Um, he talks about where people were actually giving themselves electric shocks because they had nothing else to do. Then he gives this great example about a fly in a pitcher plant, which is kind of like a Venus fly, tra- fly trap. Um, so definitely read that as well. Um, cause I'm not going to get into any of that until kind of at the very end here, mash them, mash them, mash them, mash them. Um, okay. Um, so this was another interesting thing. He's like, before you got hooked, you knew some of the negatives. And I was like, 
I didn't like, I really didn't know the negatives of it because I think it was like so new. Um, but I really didn't. I was wondering if you guys did. Um, I guess if you're younger than me, maybe it was kind of getting out there a little bit. Um, after this point, he talks a lot about propaganda and then losing control of your use, beginning to see the issue, but you just use more. You've actually conditioned yourself to use to relieve anxiety and stress. So they're kind of giving you the means, but you condition yourself to do it. Just like we talked about, you're choosing to. Um, it's a vicious cycle. The trap, um, it's a vicious cycle, which is the trap like of using. And then, so you have to use more for the same high, just like with drugs. Um, as far as warnings with warning symbols, we treat, we have this, you know, like at least in our country, we treat symptoms. We don't really solve the problems so um he gives the example of like an oil light in your car you can either like change your oil which solves the problem or you can just take the bulb out i mean who does that no one does that but um it just shows kind of how that's silly to treat symptoms um okay at this point in the book he talks starts talking about par and they have the actual graph that um he's drawn to show that to illustrate that um so the very first time that you use your digital device or whatever, you actually do get a high that raises you above par, just like you may have talk, heard of an addict talk about their first high or whatever. So it does bring you above high, above par. But when you have the crash from that, the withdrawal, the low, um, it actually takes you lower than you were before. So if you are under par, you know, par is just like normal. Like you're not super happy, but you're not upset. Like you're just, just normal, regular, you're okay. Um, so it's talking about that. And then it's talking about, um, you're never truly happy because after that first time, it never takes you above par. So the next time you might think, okay, well the next time you use takes you a little bit above par. No, after the first time, it never even brings you back to par. Are you dancing on the iPad? You are dancing on the iPad. (laughs) Um, so it never takes you above par like real life activities would. Um, so from then on out, it always brings you a little higher than you were, but not all the way to par. And then when you crash, you're lower than you started. And that happens every time. And you'll see on the thing, it just looks like a stock market crash or something like, um, okay. Then we talk about, or he talks about the itch. So this is something that's very familiar to me because something that I have not shared with you guys really before is, um, I used to have, I guess kind of an issue with alcohol. I say that, but I mean, I really did. Um, basically if I were, Hey, sh- sh- here, I'm going to give it to you. Um, I was like, I was an alcoholic where I drink every day or even on any regular, um, what do you call it? Like any regular consistent basis. But when I would, I would binge drink, like drink so much that I would black out and just, I couldn't even, you know, so I understand that that um phrase he used as the itch i don't know if you feel it so much with digital addiction if you are um giving into it because you probably don't even notice but start kind of noticing before you pick up your phone if you feel this little itch well it actually would happen a little bit before that anyway he describes the itch i say all the time like when i was dealing with that i would feel like on the inside i feel like itchy like there's like an itch on the inside of my body like i don't know how to describe it But anyway, he calls that little itch, or the itch, the little monster, and that's created the first time you use digital junk. 
And that little monster kind of is just sitting there like a little, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) a little annoying voice kind of going, I don't like this. Like imagine if you were in a car with somebody and they're like, are we there yet? So just kind of annoying, like not super majorly annoying. Um, But the problem, see, she's, she's giving you an example of what it probably sounds like in your brain. Um, the problem is that the little monster arouses the big monster. Um, remember whenever I had the brain talk to you and the brain was saying, my phone fixed this before. So the brain is actually, um, telling you, okay, the little monster is complaining. So it's kind of like, this kind of reminds me of like my kids. Um, it's like when, if the baby starts kind of fussing a little bit, It'll be, we'll be like, okay, turn on her show. I don't care what you're watching. I don't care that it's your turn. Turn on her show because I don't want to hear her making that sound anymore. It's kind of what your brain is doing. Your brain is like, the little monster's bitching again, so we need to get some, uh, what do you call it? Some um, phone time in here. Um, so you scratch the itch. You get the illusion of pleasure, but it's not genuine. It's not a genuine high. It's not even on par. It doesn't even bring you to par. Um, and so forget being above par. And it's going going to take you to a lower low. Um, And so I think he asked this question something like, yeah, but I still get some relief from it. I still get a little high from it. So so what? And I love his answer to that. So make sure you read that. I don't remember it now. I just wrote that I love his so what answer. Um, And then he's going to talk about tolerance levels. Make sure you read that because I'm not going to go over that here. Um, But basically, you start needing a bigger fix or binge. Um, it starts affecting you physically too, like how you take care of yourself, how you take care of your house. Possibly could be why some of us um, are listening to Cleaning Buddy. I mean, I know it's a reason I started doing it because speed cleans, hey, if I can do it faster, that means I can get back to my phone faster. Um, I mean, not really. I would rather have the time for lots of other things besides my phone. But I mean, to be honest, that really kind of was how it was born was like, I'm spending so much time on my phone. I need a really quick way to clean my house. Um, anyway, so right now you probably feel like, why are you telling us all this? This is like horrible. It's like doomsday stuff. Um, escape probably seems impossible after hearing all of that, but this whole process, easy way, this book is going to make it easy. Um, you will quickly get back to regular par and genuine, the genuine happiness of a non-addict. Um, it is never too late to escape. That's something they had in big and bold print. Um, because when he talks about the pitcher plant, there's a point at which the fly that gets trapped in there, there is a point at which it cannot escape, but that's not the same with this. You can escape. You can escape at any time, whenever you choose. Um, the trap's not real like the pitcher plant. It's only in your mind. Also, on top of all this, which I think a lot of us probably get this. I think if we're reading this book, we probably kind of get this too. We are the jailer. It's caused by us. We understand that. We get to a point where we do understand that we are making ourselves do it. Um, But that's also a good thing because it gives us the power to set ourselves free. So we are the ones keeping ourselves in the trap. Um, We can get out at any time. We're the jailer, which also means we can open and close the door. So that's pretty Um, powerful stuff right now. Um, By now you should see that every time you use the device, you're just trying to get back to how you felt before you were hooked on it. Um, And there's sometimes, I really wanted to talk a little bit about this. Let me see how much more I have to read. Okay. I don't have too much. So I think I can talk about it a little bit here. 
But there's a lot of times whenever, like if I've spent a whole day on my phone just really binging, like not really accomplishing anything and like just a real actual binge or whatever, I just feel like such a loser and just like my life just sucks so bad. It's like, and I probably could explain this a lot better if I didn't have a little babbling baby sitting on me here. Here. You are making some crazy sounds. You want, you don't want that? But anyway, she's another reason that I'm doing this, actually, because I said, I think in one of the first things that she picks up my phone now, like she knows what she's doing with it. Um, We don't want her to be on devices. I don't want her to be thinking about my phone and be that, have that being what she's trying to grab every time um, we're anywhere, you know, so um, anyway, moving on. Yeah, so you should see that every time you use your device, you're just trying to get back to how you felt before you were hooked. You have to stop using the junk, but I know it's not that easy right now. Um, So there's two myths. The first myth is that it gives you pleasure. The second myth is that quitting is hard, and that's the one that all the advertisers play on for the smoking people. You have to stop believing those myths. You have to have an open mind that those are myths and that there's another way. It's not the truth. Um. So then there was another question that said, does it matter if it's not real? Like you get, you get the illusion of pleasure. So what does it matter if that's not real, if you're getting pleasure from it? Um, so there's two explanations it gives here. The first one is that it's actually a threat to your mental and physical health as well as, um, to your loved ones because you're neglecting them. Um, imagine the damage going on with your kids. They think that you don't want anything to do with them because you're always looking at your phone. Um, your mental health, you know, all those things I listed out for how you feel disillusioned and self-loathing um, and all that. It's not good for your mental health. Your physical health, you probably are not really taking good care of yourself. Um, okay. And number two is, if you were happy or actually okay with it, you wouldn't be reading this book. Um, but reading actually puts you in a strong position to stop Because if you've gotten to the point where you're picking up a book like this, you see the problems. You're not really under the illusion of it anymore that it's all okay. You can stop anytime you want. Um, But there's still one thing left that's holding us back at this point. And you're probably feeling it pretty strong right now, especially after the content of this chapter. And that is fear. Fear of being more miserable than you are addicted. Fear of being miserable um, once it's all, once you're not... Um, using it that way, or if you have to get rid of some certain apps or games or whatever. Um, it, but it's a real fear, and we are going to address it. The book does address it. So look, here's this. Um, okay. So what is keeping you fearful, though? And this is the crazy thing. It's like I told you the myths, and I told you that we have to stop believing that those myths, but it's not so cut and dried. It's not as simple as all that. Um, it's really the illusion of pleasure and false beliefs, keeping, um, that fear alive in your mind. And the rest of the book is going to start dealing with that. I think chapter seven is, um, goes a little bit more into the illusion. And then I think the chapter after that is dealing with the fear and stuff. I mean, it kind of all, each chapter kind of goes with each thing. Um, but while I do have a few minutes and she's actually being quiet and I'm not having to read from this book or from my notes, um, I did want, whoa, 
I wanted to throw you guys across the room, which is what I just did. Sorry. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit more about that feeling because I feel like sharing stuff with people is actually part of getting over it all. Um, and I know like one thing it said, you have to like own up to it. I've actually started saying to people like, um, well, the reason that's happening is because I'm addicted to my phone and I'm working on that. Um, but yeah, it's a problem and I'm trying to deal with it. Um, but it is like this feeling of like, it's, you know, it's like this hopeless feeling. Like when you spent all day, watched all these videos, maybe had some things on your to-do list, got none of them done. And you just feel like, I don't know, it's hopeless and it's frustration and you're aggravated with yourself. You might lash out at other people and then you feel bad about that, that you were mean to other people because of something you're doing yourself. And why can't I just stop? And you know, what is my problem? Like what's wrong with me? And you have to remember it's not it really isn't you. The addiction is taking over. You do not have control. If you had control, you would be able to stop. And there are those little moments. It's like I've had them before. Like I, I kind of talked about, I think, in one of the things today about um, the fact that I kind of felt um, like I had to really break myself away from this little camera app I was using. Um because I just, it was like, I don't know. It was just like a, a time-wasting thing, I think. Um, but because of that, I, I mean, I probably could have accomplished a little bit more today, but I did pretty good today um, as far as things that I did and stuff like that. But um, I don't know what I keep hearing. I keep hearing a weird noise. Um, come here. You want to come up here? I really think she's about to fall back asleep. Um, and the other thing is, which I'm really doing a lot better with this and, um, I'll share with you guys my, um, because I've never had an issue with using my phone at work. Um, I've tried to make myself like kind of like a deal, like while we're home because of this, um, virus stuff going on, um, that I would here that I would, um, keep my phone put up, which I mean, that's not different from what I do for work, you know, like I guess at three o'clock every day or whatever, whenever I don't have to be working anymore, I should go get it so that I keep my digital use like normal, um, while I finish the book. But, um, I don't know what it is. Like I really have, I struggle with it at home. Like I really, really do. Um, and I actually forgot, like whenever I originally wrote my schedule, I was like, I'm going to put my phone away at this time because this is what I do at work. So it's not any different from that. And then the very next day I was, I think I started recording some of these and I said on there like, you know, I got to finish this book so I can start doing the schedule. And I was like, no, the schedule is what I basically do at work. So, so I'm going to try to do that. Um, if I am still going after my phone and using it, it's because, um, I'm at home and that's what I do here. Um, so that would be keeping my use kind of the same as what I've been doing. So I don't really have a problem with it either way. But anyway, I just wanted to touch a little bit more on that about the, Oh, did you just bite my toe? You don't bite my toe. <laughs> I just wanted to talk a little bit more about that. I had her sitting on the couch with me and she scooted herself off. So I wasn't just not paying attention and she crawled and bit my toe. I was actually holding her arms. Anyway, um, that's all I really have to add about all this stuff for chapter six. So I'm still trying to get through the book as quickly as possible 
And um, if you did not do the exercise for chapter five or start it because it's an ongoing thing, please start that because you don't want to be trying to do it when you get to the end and it's like go time. You want to have that list ready so you can just do it all at once. But do not delete and start changing your habits yet. Just observe and document. That's what you want to do right now. All right, guys. Talk to you later.